Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you are doing fantastic. And maybe you're not, because that is the whole theme of today's episode, is when you feel hopeless, when you feel so overwhelmed, when you feel like you just can't do this anymore, but we don't have any choice. What do you do with that? Every single one of us has probably been there. I'd be surprised if someone raising a child with anxiety or OCD has not been there because that is a place where we all wind up at least once while we're on this journey. And I wanted to make an episode just speaking to that feeling of hopelessness so that I can reach some of you who are maybe feeling like that right now. So I'm going to get into that. I'm going to share a little bit about my own journey and a lot of what I see in my practice and talk about some inspirational things to hopefully kind of give you a a little bit of a sunbeam and some perspective of some future hope. So before I do that, just give you an update on what is going on in the AT parenting survival world. I am very busy working on a sleep course. So I have a new online on-demand video class coming out in the beginning of September. And I actually have created a free PDF for people just to get them thinking about sleep struggles. So if you are a parent where one of your issues is sleep, that will make you feel really hopeless because I have been there and done that. And it's hard to function when you can't get your kids to sleep because if they're not sleeping, you're not sleeping either. And so sleep deprivation is like the entire family is experiencing it. So everybody's irritable. Everybody's grouchy. So I have been asked to make this online class for quite a while. And finally I have had time to do it. And I have created a PDF to get people to start working on this before I do my class. And I will also have a free webinar that's coming out in the beginning of September, all on the five things that a lot of parents do to help sleep struggles that completely do not work. So make sure that you're not doing any of those. If you want to get a free copy of the PDF, the PDF covers 15 of some of the most common reasons why kids are scared to sleep. Cause if you know me, if you don't get to the core fear, you're really missing the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. So if you want to get that PDF, you can just text me at 44222 and just text sleep fears, all one word. And I will get that PDF to you. And that way you can start to think about that. So that's pretty much what's going on in the AT parenting survival world. Um, so keep posted on that. And if you want to get on my wait list to be the first one to hear about when the sleep class goes live, you'll also get notified about when the free webinar is available. You can join my wait list. People who are actually on the wait list, not just my email list, but actually on my wait list are going to get not only 50% off the class the first week that it is available, but they're going to get something that I can't tell you about. They're going to get a bonus. They're going to get a special surprise. And so if you want any of that and you're interested in getting some help for sleep, get on the wait list and you can join it by going to 
www.bitly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sleep waitlist, all one word, lowercase. So that's www. Actually, it's no, well, no, you could do www. (laughs) Bitly, bitly links are confusing to me, but it's www.bitly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash sleep waitlist. So hopefully you'll get on that if you're not already. And that way you can um, get half off and then get this extra bonus that I'll be giving you and know about the free webinar that'll be coming out talking about some of the pitfalls that parents tend to fall into that are super common. Okay. Enough of that. Let's talk about you. So a lot of times there'll be moments in our kids journey through anxiety or OCD, where we just hit the wall. We just hit rock bottom where we think, you know what? I just can't take any more of this and I'm done. I'm just done. And if there was an escape clause or a pause button, you would be all over that, right? I have been there. And my whole message for you today is that there is hope. And it's, there are a lot of things that we need to do when we're feeling that burnt out. Self-care, even though it's such an overused expression that can seem kind of cheesy and uh, get you to think of images of, you know, bubble baths and candles. Self-care is not really about that. Self-care is knowing when you're at your limits and taking care of yourself, because if you can't take care of yourself, then you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. And even though you're burnt out right now, you still want to be able to take care of your kids in the way that you want to do it, which, you know, normally is being effective and being present and being, being okay. And we're human and there are going to be times where we are not okay. I think the first thing that we have to do is give ourselves permission to not be okay. So I will give you permission. It is okay that you're not okay. You're not supposed to be perfect. You're not supposed to be superwoman or super dad. Guess what? You're human. You have human emotions. You are, there's a little child inside of you, just like the one that's staring at you. And you are allowed to feel overwhelmed. You are allowed to crumble sometimes. That does not mean that you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean that you can't do this. It just means that you're having a moment. Maybe your moment has been a few days. Maybe it's been a few weeks. Maybe it's been a few months. Maybe it's been this year, but you're allowed to be human. You're allowed to have those moments. We don't want you to live in them though. We want to validate and accept ourselves because I know I, I am very quick to beat myself up. If I am not emulating the things that I try to teach other parents, you know, it's, it's a a double doozy for me because I am a parent raising kids with anxiety and OCD. And I'm also a therapist and a teacher for parents on how to do this. And so I am doubly hard on myself and maybe you're doubly hard on yourself too, for other reasons when I lose it. And I lose it. There are times. And of course my file in my head is, is quite big because we save the bad stuff. We forget about the good stuff. How often do we file away great memories? That was brilliant. You know, how often do we put that in our good file in our brain? Like you just got her through that. You know, you were like a a wonderful coach or whatever. No, but we're kind of quick to be like, well, why would you say that? Or, you know, she's already having a hard time. And then you went ahead and made it harder. What's wrong with you? And we wind up 
making the situation 10 times worse because not only were we having a moment where we kind of lost it, but then we're beating ourselves up about having a human moment. And then we wind up feeling guilty, embarrassed, you know, full of shame. And then our kids pick up on that. And then none of us are doing well. So it's like a a lose-lose. It's like a domino effect. So you want to give yourself grace to say, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. And that's a hard thing. And one thing that I do when I'm feeling overwhelmed on many different fronts, but the first front is when I, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I tend to react in a way that I don't want to react. You know, I tend to be volatile and irritable and I snap and maybe sometimes I even say things that I don't want to say. And when I have those moments, I do briefly go into that, that self-hate place that I think is just natural to fall into, but I try not to let myself stay there. And I say, you know what? You're human. I say the same thing to myself as I'm saying to you, you're going to make mistakes. And then I make sure to make it okay with my kids. And so I will go back and maybe I'm not ready to go back in that hour or even in that day. But the next day I might say, I didn't handle that the best way that I can. And I'm sorry for that because I want to teach you how to control your emotions. And sometimes I have a hard time myself and I was feeling very stressed that day and very overwhelmed. And then, you know, I was running tight for time. That's normally does it for me too, is if I am rushed, I tend to be more irritable or the the likelihood of me snapping is higher. And that is not a good, that's not a reason why I should have snapped at you. So I am sorry that I had a human moment myself saying that to your kids, not only says out loud that you give yourself permission to be okay, but you're modeling to your child that no one is perfect, not even their mom or dad, and that we all have our, our ugly moments. And that's okay because every moment is a new moment. And this brings me to my second point, which is not only do we sometimes feel overwhelmed because of our own behavior or how we're interacting with our kids, but sometimes we feel overwhelmed because our kids just aren't getting better. They just aren't motivated. They just don't want to do the work. And maybe you have spent a fortune in therapy, or maybe it took you two or three months or six months or even a year to find the perfect therapist who specializes in exactly what your child is struggling with. And they refuse to go to the appointment. That is frustrating. That is super annoying. And so you might be done. You might be like, you know what? I've read all the books. I'm taking all the classes. I found you the perfect therapist and I'm doing all the work and you all have to, all you have to do is show up and you just don't even want to do that. And so you might just want to throw in the towel and say, forget this. I'm just, I'm just done. And my words to you are hang in there. <laughs> that was deep, right? <laughs> because I have been there so many times, even as a therapist who specializes in this, we can't control what tools or skills our children are going to use. And we can't control the pace in, in, in their progress. We can't control so many aspects of their anxiety or OCD because they have to do this themselves. We're their coach and we can cheerlead them, but ultimately this is their life and it's their deal. And you can be the best 
parent in the world and you can be sending them to the best therapist in the world and the child can choose whether to make progress or not. I see this time and time again in my practice. You know, I see kids who do really, really well, like instantly. And I see kids who struggle and don't make progress for a really long time. And I'm saying the same exact thing to both kids. It has to do with where they're at. And it doesn't make one child worse than the other as far as who they are as a person. It's just that we all come with different levels of a fight in us. And we all come with different levels of tolerance. And so you really have to get to the point where you're ready to fight in order to beat this. And sometimes kids are just not there yet. Sometimes they are just, um, they're not mature enough or they're not, um, seeing how this is impacting their life or other people, because kids tend to look at what's right in front of them and they forget to look at the bigger picture. There's so many different reasons, but sometimes something amazing happens and you're stagnant for so long. And all of a sudden your child just has this spark and things just improve and they can improve really quickly when it happens. And I've seen this happen time and time again. So I'll tell you a little bit about some of, of my life and some of those moments where I felt like you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) And, and some of the big, the big lights that have happened where there's been brightness and success. So my oldest daughter had really intense sensory processing disorder and a lot. She was very different than my other two in the sense that she was very hyperactive and she was a sensory seeker, but she also was like super sensitive with her mouth. And so she couldn't eat anything. And, you know, everybody else at two was having birthday cake on their second birthday and she couldn't eat solids really well uh, without throwing up. And so I thought, oh my gosh, like my child is never going to be able to function. She couldn't wear normal clothes. She had a lot of her struggles were sensory related, but then the anxiety came around the dysregulation that the sensory stuff caused. And it was overwhelming. I mean, the meltdowns were so intense. And I remember I was an infant and toddler mental health specialist at the time. And it really nearly broke my career because I thought if I can't control and I use the word control, that's where, you know, I was obviously having a problem because, um, you know, if you think you can control your kid, then that's, that's problem number one. But I felt like at the time I can't even control my kid. How am I going to help other people help their children? Like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so there was, there was a time where I felt like a failure as a mom and a therapist and really felt like I, maybe I picked the wrong profession. And over time, you know, there was a lot of progress. And I remember thinking that there, there would never be a normal related to her and how she eats or what clothes she wears or how she interacts socially or how she, there were so many elements that came along with her sensory stuff that were anxiety related, but in a a different sort of way than with my other two. And, and now she's in high school. She's totally fine. She's successful. She's smart. She eats normally. She wears clothes that are normal, you know, you know, like all the things that I would catastrophize in my head have not happened because I was just saying, you know what, if she could at least just, you know, eat some soft foods, I'd be happy. Like it was so severe. So 
that was a lot of wasted energy that I was catastrophizing way, way into the future. And then I had my second child and he was a dream of a child for the beginning years. And I thought, you know, here's my easy kid, you know, never say that out loud because then the universe will laugh at you and make it hard. And that's what happened to me. (laughs) So he developed some severe OCD and was diagnosed with PANS when he was about seven. And that was, that was even scarier because with my daughter, at least I knew that it was a sensory issue, you know, that it was a lump or a bump. And I knew what were her safe foods. And it was easy in the sense that I knew, I knew what she could eat. But when you're dealing with like ARFID and PANS and you're dealing with uh, intrusive thoughts around food, you just don't know what to do with that because it will change every day and you can't keep up with the intrusive thoughts. You are depending on your child to tell you what those thoughts are. And the end result is all I see is someone just spitting their food out, um, big piles of paper towel next to their meal and losing weight and being just really like just pure skeleton. So at that point I was like, I was feeling very hopeless. We had tried everything and um, I put him on antibiotics for the pans for a little while and, you know, then tried an SSRI and, you know, cause we were so desperate, he was just losing weight and the exposures weren't helping. Nothing seemed to be helping completely. And then when we put him on a very tiny dose of Paxil, he had activation syndrome and got very impulsive and aggressive and scary and not himself. And it took, that was probably the darkest time that took about two months to get him back to normal. And in that period of time, you know, where we were having to restrain him and it was just really, really rough. I was done, done. Like I was like, I can't do this a second time around and I'm exhausted. And I do this all day long at work. I do it all day long on the internet and I'm failing at home. And so I get it. Like when you're having that, that panic that your child is not well, and especially when they're not eating or doing something that can harm their health, it's hard to not be overwhelmed. And so at that point, it's good to take care of yourself and, and take a step back and say, take it day by day. And so what I did in that moment, that period of time, that was probably the worst period of time. And it was about a year ago in July. And actually someone in our Facebook group had commented on a thread that I had posted during that time and brought those memories up. And then a lot of people were commenting because it looked like I had just posted it, but it was actually a year ago. What I had to do during that time was not think about anything, but the next day, the day that was in front of me and the next day, and I picked one small goal. And so maybe my goal was just to get him to eat some protein that day or just to get him to eat, you know? And then as we progressed, it might've been just to get him to do one little exposure each day. And Whenever I started to catastrophize and I started to think about if you lose any more weight, we might have to G to him. When do I, you know, take this to the next level? Should I look at a higher level of care? Like what, where am I doing enough for him? I brought it back down and I said, what am I doing today? Well, today I'm not looking for a higher level of care, right? Today I am not looking at G tubing him. 
today I'm just getting him to eat some chicken. That's all I'm doing. That's my goal for today. So if you're feeling really overwhelmed, break it down into small pieces. What are you doing today? And with him, miraculously, once we got the SSRI out of his system and he was kind of back to baseline, all of his OCD symptoms went away. It was really bizarre. But with PANS, you, um, one, kids with PANS tend to be super sensitive to SSRIs. So you have to start off really small. Um, obviously, confer with your psychiatrist. This is not medical advice, but that was my personal experience. And um, I am all for SSRIs. Uh, they have helped a lot of members of my family, but he was too sensitive. So I felt even more hopeless at that point because during those two months, because I felt like even the medicine's not going to help. So now where do we go? Like that was kind of my last ditch effort to help. And now what? But he got that out of his system and he didn't have any OCD symptoms. It was just gone and his mood came back to normal, but all the OCD went away. And so I would not have imagined that when I was in the thick of things that within a month, it would be better. It'd be so much better. It'd actually be better than it had been for over a year. So you don't know, even if you think you're in the absolute worst situation that you've ever been in, you don't know how long that's going to last because when kids make progress, sometimes it's rather quickly. Now with him, let's see, that was, I don't know. I'm really bad with time. That was like last year, July, and then he was better. And then around January, he had another flare where some of his eating issues came back up. And I think as parents, we become, we almost have post-traumatic stress because when we start to see those symptoms again, we are like, oh my gosh, no, not again. I can't do this again. Please don't do this. And sometimes we bring our panic to our kids. That's an episode. That's another episode to do. But I saw it happening. Saw like the paper towel starting to pile up again. And we just started doing exposures. But this time, he was like on board and this time he was articulate and he was telling me how he was feeling and he was telling me his intrusive thoughts and it went away within a few weeks. And, and that's my hope for you is that even if you feel like you're in a very dark place right now, your child is in there somewhere and they're learning skills that you don't even know they're learning. And something amazing happened just the other day. So he's been good again since I guess, February. And even January was just a pretty small little blimp. And the other day he came in and he said, mom, when we get home, I want to talk to you in your office, my home office. And so he doesn't normally say that. And so he said, it's about anxiety and OCD. (laughs) Since he went to the OCD conference, since both my little kids went to the OCD conference, they have been so much more empowered to talk about their OCD and anxiety. Like it totally normalized it to them and, um, or for them. And it's just funny. I've noticed a big, big difference in them kind of accepting their issues and not being embarrassed by it because they were, they met people and they met friends who have that too. And so it, it really helped a lot. So I came into the office and I was worried. I thought he was going to talk about a friend or someone was bullying him because I do worry about that a lot with him because he's just a different kind of kid. And he said, that he had seen an image, you know, he was at school. I don't know why he's on a browser and he's looking at something and he found something spooky and he wanted to talk about it because it's stuck in his head and he gets scary images get stuck in his head as part of his OCD. And he wanted to do exposures right away to get it out of his head. 
How awesome is that? It turned out it was Freddy Krueger. I have no idea what he stumbled on in the middle of his class, but um, I pulled up the picture and I said, is this who you're talking about? And he said, yes. And, um, and so I found a YouTube video of somebody who did a makeup tutorial of putting on the mask of Freddy Krueger. And so we watched that together and then he said, let's watch it again. And then he, we fast forwarded to like the scary part. And then we went back and we showed what the guy looked like before he did his mask. And it really helped. He had a little bit of a hard time going to bed that night. And I haven't heard a peep about it since. That was a few days ago. We'll stay on top of it. But my point is, never in a million years would I have thought that he would have come that long away, that he would be able to not only identify a potential OCD theme, a new theme, but to correctly label it, to, you know, reach out to me and to, to do an exposure, to nip it in the bud. Never. I would be like, oh no, he's never going to be that kid. He just, he was, he didn't want to acknowledge his OCD. He didn't want to talk about it. So I thought that he would never get to that point. So there is hope because he was obviously listening to me. He obviously retained some of the stuff that I was trying to help him with. And when he was ready, he was able to do it. My last story is about my Miss Seven. She's actually the biggest success story because when she came along and she started to have her OCD issues, I really felt like the universe had given me too much. <laughs> I was like, I get giving me one or two kids who have these issues so that I could help other people. I get that. Okay, that makes sense. I need to live it in order to really be able to help people. But the third one, that's unnecessary. Like, I get it. We don't need to like overload the teacher. And I guess nobody cared because I got the third one and I love her. So I would never give up the third one, but her issues were equally as bad as the other two. And over the last end of the school year and through the summer, her OCD had got so bad that she really couldn't function. And we had this huge trip to Alaska that we were excited about for like eight months. We were looking forward to this trip. And it was very sad because she had like a lot of her issues were about kind of leaving her safe space and she really couldn't leave the cabin. She didn't want to do anything. She didn't want to leave, you know, every time we had to go to a meal, which, you know, we were on a cruise, you have to go to three meals a day at least, and you can't have them in your room. Well, I wasn't going to, because we weren't going to accommodate that. And it was big meltdowns to get her to a meal. It was worrying about where any bathroom is because she has sensory motor OCD related to having to pee. And it was a nightmare. So, um, and school, she wanted to be homeschooled. She didn't want to go to school. School wasn't the issue. She loved her teacher. She loved friends. She's very social, but she felt like she couldn't go without having to go to the bathroom. So we did go to the doctor. We ruled out pans, pandas, urinary tract infection, anything having to do with her bladder all came back fine. And it just was classic sensory motor OCD, which I did a podcast episode about last week. So I think that's episode 131. So if you're like, what is that? I think my kid has it. Well, listen to episode 131 after this and you'll hear more about it and what to do about it. So I was overwhelmed and I was petrified about this upcoming school year because I thought there is no way this kid is going to go to school. She can't even leave the house. Like I, we, her exposures in the beginning of the summer were literally 
to go get frozen yogurt and come back home. Like that was her exposure. She'd actually get a ticket for, you know, our, our treasure box so that she could just leave the house. And I was doing something fun with her. So I was super concerned about this school year and I tried to back burner it and say, you know what? It's not happening yet. Let me not think about it. But she had kind of lost all her friends because she couldn't go in the cafeteria. She couldn't go to PE. She didn't want to go to recess. So anytime there was a social interaction, she couldn't, couldn't participate because that was part of her OCD theme. And so she had really isolated herself and she was just like best friends with the nurse. And well, they weren't even friends. She just sat with the nurse and that was it. And so I, I just couldn't, even in my optimistic state, see how next year was going to go any better because she was getting a new teacher one she didn't know. And I didn't think they were going to make all those accommodations for her again, because she doesn't have a 504 plan. I didn't know if I was going to have to go get one. And so it was a nightmare, but some good things happened. So if you had asked me at the beginning of the summer, I would have just told you, I can't talk about it. It's just making me so anxious. I have no idea. Over the summer, we did a lot of exposures. And so I tried to really do with her what I do with the kids that come into my practice, because sometimes it's hard for me to be as methodical with my own kids because I'm like, okay, I know what I need to do. I'll, I'll do it, but it doesn't have to be formal. Like I don't have to write down the hierarchy. I don't have to do the exposures systematically, but I did. So I, I created a challenge ladder with her and we rated it and we started to do exposures. So we did that, but we had been doing exposures periodically and it just wasn't completely moving the dial for her or moving the needle, whatever that expression is. And so I was so nervous about the beginning of school that we also put her on a small dose of an SSRI, actually the same one that my son went on. I was super worried about it, but my other family members do fine on it. So, um, we gave her like only like five milligrams, super tiny dose. And within a few days, she was already doing better. I mean, it was crazy. I think my kids are super sensitive to medication and school started and she is a completely different person. She was excited to go to school. Now I did meet with the teacher ahead of time. And I think if I didn't do that, I think there still would have been some uphill struggles, but we met with a teacher ahead of time. And the teacher said, you can go to the bathroom whenever you want, but we're going to try not to like, we, we talked about how she can challenge herself, but it's not up to the teacher to challenge her. You know, that if the teacher sees her going to the bathroom multiple times an hour, that she can email me and let me know. And we can set up behavior, like, like a challenge plan, you know, where I can motivate her, but, um, she didn't have to eat in the cafeteria. We had scheduled so that she can eat in her, um, favorite teacher from last year's classroom. Like we made a lot of things to just make her be willing and able to actually just go to school because that was where we were at. And she blew everything out of the water. She was happy to go to school. She made friends really quickly. She has stopped worrying about, um, any pee issues. It doesn't seem like to be a concern. And then she said, mom, I want to go in the cafeteria. I want to try it. I want to challenge myself. And she did. And she has been going into the cafeteria for like the last two weeks, three weeks, actually. And even one day she said, mom, I didn't feel good. Um, and I felt nauseous because she does have celiac and she does get nauseous after she eats quite a lot. Still. I think she, um, I think she has some other issues that we haven't really resolved yet. And she said, I felt nauseous, but I still stayed in the cafeteria. Like she gets that that's an exposure. 
And so we still need to be doing exposures, but there is no way I would have thought this child would come that far that quickly. If you had told me that at the beginning of the summer, I'd be like, yeah, no, that that's not going to happen. That's it's going to take a lot more time for that kind of progress to actually happen. And so you don't know, you don't know, you know, what you think is going to be like your nightmare forever could end next week. It could end next month. Your child could just get an aha moment um, or get on some new medication or try some different therapy approaches and do so much better. So where you are today, you don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow. And if we already assume that we're going to be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day, then our outlook is going to be really bad. Our outlook is going to be hopeless. And then we're not going to have the energy or the hope to sprinkle it and spread it onto our kids. So, you know, my daughter, so all three of my kids right now are doing really well. Does that mean that that's going to last forever? Definitely not. I'm sure that there'll be struggles again, but the way that I think is helpful to look at it is they're learning new skills all the time and they are developing these lifelong skills that other kids aren't developing right now. And there are skills that every kid could use to learn how to face their fears, to learn how to overcome insurmountable obstacles, to learn how to do something challenging and hard and be successful or to fail, but continue to do it again and again. They're learning how to gatekeep their thoughts and throw out the bad ones and keep the good ones. And they're learning how to pay attention to their internal dialogue of like what they say to themselves, because what they say to themselves becomes how they feel and it becomes how they act. So there's so many skills that will make them beautiful human beings if they can just get through this dark time and most kids do. So I think that it's important for, for, for you to hear those hope, those words of hope and know that if you had talked to me at the beginning of the summer, I would have been right there with you. If you talked to me in July of last summer, during those few months when my, my son is really having a hard time, I would have been right there with you. But the beautiful thing is I'm not because everything changes. Nothing stays the same. The one thing that we can count on in life is change. And that is a good thing when you're in a bad place because it's never, ever going to last forever. Think about something else that was horrible that you didn't like that you thought would never end. And it's in the past, right? It's gone. It got resolved. It got fixed. It's over. Whatever it is, it's over. And that's the same for what we're in the middle of right now is the one, the one thing that we can count on is that nothing stays the same. So when we're in a bad place, that is a good thing to hold on to. So I'll end with today. I had to go to an assembly because my daughter was getting an award for, you know, being an outstanding person. And she has taken it upon herself to help the new people who are in the school who are having a hard time. And there's a kid in her class who's having a hard time because she's new and she gets it when she sees other people struggling and she sees other people having a hard time. She gets it because she remembers exactly how that felt. And so she is the helper and not the one needing help right now. And that is beautiful. And that could be what's going to happen in your life and with your kids too, because life is unpredictable. And often it will surprise us and it will surprise us for the better. 
So hang in there. And I hope that you found this a little bit encouraging to hear about the trials and tribulations of my life. And I could, for all of my stories, I can think of um, hundreds of other stories that I can't share because they're from my practice that are just as similar as that. So I know confidently that things do get better over time. Well, I hope you're enjoying my podcast and you're finding that I am a source of support and guidance for you. If you're enjoying the podcast, I always appreciate when people hit a star on iTunes. It's a great way to easily give back to my show and to the work that I do just to, to show me virtually that you support me. Um, that really helps because it shows other parents that this is a valued podcast. They're not going to be wasting their time if they listen to it and that they can get something from it. If you have a few extra minutes and you want to give back further, leaving a review or a comment about how the show has helped you in your life, not only is inspiring for me and kind of keeps me going, but it inspires other families to, to realize that there is hope out there and that there's some value in this podcast. And so to show my gratitude, I always like to end the show reading one of the reviews from somebody who took the time to, to write something nice. So I want to thank TJPAQ and they wrote, I have struggled so much to explain what it's like to have anxiety and to have a child with anxiety. If others haven't experienced it, they don't seem to truly understand. This podcast has made me feel like I'm not alone. Like other people know what I'm going through and how to help. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to leave the review. I really appreciate that. And I'm glad that you don't feel alone because we are all in it together. There's so many of us. If you go to my private Facebook page or group, there's over 12,000 of us. And that's crazy because, you know, that's probably just a small little sampling of all of us who are out there raising kids with anxiety and OCD. So you are not alone. Um, come into our group and be part of that so that you can see that you're not alone um, or join my AT parenting community. That's a more intimate group where we're a small group of people that support each other. But more importantly, you get my own direct support in the AT parenting community where I'm there for you on a daily basis to offer you suggestions and support and tips on whatever you are going through. But I hope no matter what, that you find the sparkle in everything you do, uh, even more so today with this topic. Don't forget your sparkle. And I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. I'm a mom of a daughter with OCD. I live in South Africa um, and it's a country that doesn't have a lot of resources for children's mental health and specifically OCD. I really was at my wit's end on how I'm going to support my child, how I'm going to do ERP, how I'm just basically going to, to parent a daughter with OCD in a country that has little to no resources. And at times it got just debilitating for us as a family. And I was super lonely, um, people weren't listening, I didn't have any support. The AT community has been an absolute lifesaver. Natasha has been instrumental in the past few months in helping us set up ERP challenges, going through them step by step, being supportive each and every step of the way. Joining the AT parenting community has been one of the best things I could have done for me and my family. Uh, Natasha has built this community and it is exceptional. I've learned so much. The support is fantastic. It's it's just been life-changing for my daughter. Um, it's so nice to be able to ask her live questions in office hours. She's there. She responds. 
uh, her live videos every week where she asks us what we need her to talk about. Uh, also her forums, again, where you can ask questions. She's on there all the time. She is very present. The resources she has had provided, the worksheets, uh, there are so many things in this AT parenting community that are beneficial. Natasha gives you so much of her time and her expertise. She's there to answer your questions, so it's such a personal way of getting help and support when it's much needed. Personally, the community has helped me because I feel like I needed my support. And then you have the added bonus of this fantastic community of parents who are going through such similar things and suddenly you're empowered and have ways of accessing help and making a real difference to your family. And also just the support of all the other moms and dads, it's really good, you know, we laugh together, we cry together, we fail together, we succeed together, um, and, and everybody gets it, everybody gets it, and it's such a nice community to be with, and I hope you join us, you won't be disappointed, try it out. To learn more about how you can become a member of the AT Parenting Community, go to atparentingcommunity.com. Thank you.